John chapter 5 this morning. We're beginning a new chapter in the book of John. We started the Gospel of John on the first Sunday of March, March 5th on Easter. We were in uh, John chapter 1 and just moving through there. Well, it's the middle of July and we're starting John chapter 5. Hey, we're making great progress. We're moving, uh, but it's not about rushing through. It's not about how fast we can get through it. It's about how we can learn from the Word of God. We don't want to spend more time than we have to and make it tedious, but we do want to understand the truths of God because this, we're in a series this morning, Knowing Jesus Christ. The most important subject that you can possibly learn is Jesus Christ. And not what somebody has to say about Jesus, but what Jesus wants us to know about Him. That's what we find in the Word of God. I would encourage you to just look at your bulletins, look through some of the upcoming events. If you are a man and interested in coming uh, to the Northeast Men's Advance, we do need to get those registrations in uh, this month, and so we're looking forward to that. That's going to be in New Hampshire. Uh, the end of September, there's going to be the Men's Advance there, and so please uh, talk with me after the service. We do need to get those registrations in for that Looking forward to the other upcoming events, the Wednesday night services. We're in the uh, life of David there and just uh, excited. We're in Sunday school. We're in the armor of God. We're getting ready to start just prayer, a little bit on prayer there with the armor of God before we finish that up. But great opportunities to learn more about the Bible. And so, But John chapter 5 this morning, John chapter 5 verse number 1. We're going to read uh, the first 18 verses. This is... Um, John, in his gospel, focuses on Jesus' trips to Jerusalem. Some of the other gospels focus more on Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And so, um, Jesus, uh, the miraculous catch of fish, Jesus teaching a lot of the parables, some of those things, those happen in Galilee. And so, those aren't recorded in the gospel of John. And so, some of those things were happening as Jesus made his way up to Galilee. There was a nobleman's son. Then the Bible says, verse number 1, After this, so after he was in Galilee for a time, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, stirred up the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years." When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, let me remind you, Jesus knows the hearts of men. Jesus knows all things about men. It's the same word there. He knew exactly who this man was, what was going on. He saith unto, that, unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Do you really want to be made whole? Do you think you're ever going to be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to bring me into the pool. But while I am coming, 
another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Okay, can you hear the haughtiness? Can you hear the judgmental tone that is there? He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. I'm just doing what Jesus said. He didn't know Jesus at the time. I'm just doing what I was told. They asked him and said, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wits not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto, them, said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. The man departed, told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. They knew exactly what Jesus had said. Jesus had no qualms about telling people exactly who he was. That he is the Son of God, but that he is very God. The title this morning is simply this, The Answer is Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. I pray. Lord, that you would just guide my lips, guide my tongue. Lord, I pray that the preaching this morning would be according to your will, according to your power. I pray that you would help us speak to our hearts, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a lot of things that people turn to for help and for change in their life. Okay? Someone needs some help. Someone needs to, they want to see some things change. There's a lot of things that people turn to. And I, I'm going to use some humorous examples for a little bit here. How many different diets, how many different workout programs are put out every other month, every, as soon as they can get a new publisher to publish their book, they have the new, the latest, and the greatest that's going to be so easy you don't even know you're on a diet. And yet it's going to be the most effective thing that's ever happened. Or, my, or the other one is a workout program that's five minutes a day and it's going to be perfect. And I mean, it's going to be everything you've ever wanted. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried some of these miracle plans, for the most part, they don't really work out. Now, okay? Uh, unless you're doing, putting some sort of 
weird chemical into your body or doing something of that that you don't even know what it's killing or doing in your body. Um, there, there's few things that can produce a change just like diet change and uh, actually exercising. And uh, you can tell I just exercise out a lot. You know, I, I mean, I no, if because I know how much time and effort and pain and suffering would go through if, you know, if I wanted to do that and I'm just not interested in that. Okay, there's that's a somewhat humorous example of that. Uh, this one's going to help me. This one's going to help me. And they've tried this one and they've tried this one. And that one doesn't work. And that one didn't work. How many different self-help ideas are there? Okay. Uh, do this. And there, there's, there's plenty of people who are willing to write books and take your money. Uh, but there's, I mean, there's more self-help out, out, out there than um, you could possibly hear. My, one of my favorites, I heard the ad on the radio. You can call up this guy and he will hypnotize you. How many have heard that one? He's going to hypnotize you and then he's going to change your behavior while you're hypnotized. And then when you wake up, everything's going to be changed in your life. So long as you pay him a lot of money. Now... I'm not trying to mock everything necessarily here, but I am trying to say there's a lot of people who are looking for change. There's a lot of people who are looking for some help in their life. Uh, change is a real need. But this morning we need to understand that the answer is Jesus Christ. That the greatest changes that need to take place in your heart are not going to be found in a diet book, are not going to be found especially in a self-help book. Now, there's nothing wrong with needing to be healthy and eating right and doing the things. Hey, this is the body God has given us. Let's take care of it. Let's, let's be careful in that. But that is a superficial change. That's not going to change your heart. Self-help that's going to help you maybe change one habit might help you get over a little bit of this but it's not going to change who you are as a person. Jesus Christ is interested in changing who you are on the inside and transforming you from the inside out. And that's a change that no self-help boot camp or anything like that is going to change. That is an answer that can only come from Christ where it is a healing of your soul, a healing of your mind, and a healing of who you are. And many people in our world, world have heard that healing from God is possible. Right? Okay? They have heard maybe someone told them, Jesus Christ can save you. And they hear that. Well, I want Jesus Christ to save me. And they don't see any change in their life. There's other people who hear, well, God can do this and God can do wonderful. And maybe they heard about somebody else who God transformed their life and they're wondering, how can that happen to me? I, I, I've heard that it happens, but I tried this religion and I've gone to church all my life and I've done this and it, it doesn't seem like anything is working. They've waited their whole life but remained unchanged. But if you've been with us in the series of John... We've seen Jesus change lives. We've seen Jesus take fishermen, and He's in the process of making them disciples of Jesus Christ who are going to preach the gospel all over the world. That's a transformation. Uh, fishermen were going to stand before the Sanhedrin and say, you're the man who crucified Christ. But there was a change that Jesus worked in their life to make that possible. We've seen a woman with a terrible past changed into a witness of God's grace. Those who would have never listened to her, oh, 
she's found another man. Suddenly they realized that she found Jesus Christ and her life, whole life was changed. Jesus transformed her life. Jesus changed the nobleman's son and the whole nobleman's family. Not only was this son healed, but the whole family believed on Jesus Christ. The whole family came to know who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is in the business and Jesus has the power to change lives. That's why Jesus returned to Jerusalem. Because He wanted to touch people's lives. He wanted to change people's lives. He returned to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Uh, most likely, this was not the Passover. Uh, most likely, this was either the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Pentecost. There were three feasts uh, that were required under the law for Jewish men to attend. Jesus kept the law in all points. He had been having his preaching ministry in Galilee. Then he comes down in obedience to the law. While he was up in Galilee, Jesus was adding disciples. He was growing his ministry. Matthew would have already joined Jesus as the group of disciples from Capernaum at this point. Uh, things were moving forward, but he returns to celebrate the, uh, celebrate the feast there. But he was not returning just to celebrate a feast. He was returning to do his father's work, right? Everything that Jesus did was about doing his father's will, was about doing his father's work. He was following what his father had commanded him to do. He was doing that in complete obedience. And in that, Jesus was very purposeful in coming in contact with people. Jesus wasn't interested in just drawing as big a crowd as he could. Jesus was interested in making contact with people and changing their life. Jesus wasn't trying to see how popular he could become, but how people could know him in a real way. And so in Jerusalem, Jesus travels to the Pool of Bethesda. It was there uh, by the sheep market that would have been associated with the sheep gate there. This is where they would have brought the animal sacrifices in. Jesus, the Lamb of God, went there to where they were bringing the lamb sacrifices in. And as he's there, there was a pool. It was a reservoir. It was a pool for washing, a pool of water there in the city. And it was called the Pool of Bethesda. The idea there actually behind the Hebrew word is a house of healing, a house of mercy. That's what they called the Pool of Bethesda there. And it was a place that was very crowded with sick folks. It says there that they were, there was a great multitude. There was a great bunch of people. There wasn't just people there. There was a great, great bunch. I mean, it was crowded. It was packed. And these people were impotent. The idea there is they were sick. They were weak. They, they were in a state of weakness. They were in a state of incapacity. They were incapacitated. They were there within these five porches that were around the Pool of Bethesda. There was, that would be like a colonnade and there would be a roof over top of it that would give them shelter from the sun. It would give them shelter from the rain. They could uh, be out there under these where they would have shelter. But they were blind. They were halt or they were lame. Uh, they couldn't move and they were withered. The idea there is paralyzed. Um, we didn't, they did not have all the medical terms that we have today. So if someone lost use of an arm, lost use of a leg, what would begin to happen over time is that 
uh, limb would begin to atrophy, right? They would, uh, would begin to literally shrink up and wither away as it was not used and could not be used. And so they would just refer to that person as withered because they were paralyzed. They could not use that. There was many, many people there. There was one crippled man who had been brought to that pool. He maybe, he maybe, had, maybe had remained in that pool, but he had been brought to that pool 38 years. Now, here's why people were gathering at this pool. Why were they there? Well, apparently... It was believed, they called it Bethesda, the house of mercy, the house of healing, because an, um, an angel would come down and would stir the water. We don't know exactly what this looked like, but there was some sort of supernatural event, from our best understanding, that the water would begin to stir, it would begin to bubble, it would begin to move, and the first person, or maybe the first couple people who got into the water after they saw it move, would receive healing. They would see something done in their life. Maybe it would be a gradual healing. Maybe they would recover of something. And they were uh, people, as the news of this got out, people came and gathered in droves, in multitudes, the Bible says, with the idea of maybe I can be the lucky one. Maybe I can be close enough to the water that I could get in and I could receive some healing. And there was an idea of hope, right? There's an idea that some change could take place. If, if I could just get in this water, if I, if, if I could be there at the right time and at the right place, and if somebody could help me, I could get into this water and I could get some help that I need and I could get some healing that I need in my life. This man had been coming 38 years. Think back 38 years. Some of us weren't even born 38 years ago. And season after season passed, the water would be troubled. Maybe he would hear the cry of joy of someone else who had been healed. I, I'm healed! This is so exciting! And he would drag his body back up to his cot. We don't know what disease he had, but he couldn't walk. Uh, maybe he was paralyzed. Some, some disease had, that's not really important which disease it was, but he is incapacitated. He can't move. And he tried to get to the water, and every time he tried, he was always that short. He would hear the water start bubbling, and he'd start struggling, and before he even hardly got off his cot, someone else had already been healed. And it was too late. For him to get there. Jesus purposefully arrives on the scene. Now, Jesus, in his power, could Jesus have walked into that porch area, into that pool, and just said, everyone here is healed? Could Jesus have done that? Yes. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus touches individuals. He wants individuals to come to Him. He wants individuals to know Him and come to Him by faith. But Jesus is walking through this multitude and just uh, picture in your mind, there are sick people everywhere. 
There's people with all kinds of diseases. There's people um, who are hurt. There's probably not leprosy or something like that here because that would be contagious. That would not be allowed within the city. Uh, but there's people who are lame. There's people who are blind. There's people who are crippled in all kinds of ways who are gathered around this pool. And Jesus is walking through the multitudes and stepping by people. And then he sees the man he's looking for. The man who's been laying there. Jesus already knows his story. He knows what he's been through. He knows how many times he's tried to reach the water and fail. And he asked the man, Wilt thou be made whole? Do you desire to be healed? Are you still seeking to be healed? Now some of us might say that's a silly question. Someone might, someone might say that's a cruel question. Of course he wants to be healed, Jesus. Why are you asking that? Are you mocking him here? No, no, no. This is the Son of God who loves this man. He's trying to, in his own way, show him that the water is not going to heal him. He's not going to get there, but he doesn't understand that yet. He begins to tell Jesus, well, if I had somebody who could help me, uh, maybe somebody could put me into the water. The idea there uh, behind the Greek word is actually to throw. Maybe if I had a strong young man like you, Jesus, you could throw me in the water and then I would get healed. Maybe, I don't know. Can you help me get into the water? The only, the, the only hope is if I can get into the water and it's never worked out. I've tr I'm trying. Can you hear just a little bit of hopelessness? The despair that's in his voice? I've never gotten to the water in time. I can't get there without help. I won't get there without help. Jesus takes His eyes off of the water and says, you need to look at Me. This man had not come seeking Jesus. Jesus had come seeking Him. Knowing everything about Him. And He came to Him and He said, rise up. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Let's read it right, verse number 8. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. He gives him a command. Now, this man had not walked in 38 years. This man had not, other than crawled off his cot, had not moved in 38 years. And yet Jesus said, Rise, take up thy bed, walk. The Bible says, immediately, instantly, at that moment, the man who had not walked, the man who had been hoping somehow he could touch that water by the word of Jesus Christ, was made whole. He was made whole and he began to walk. He took up his bed and walked. It's an imperfect verb there. That means he was walking and he kept on walking. Then he walked over here. And then he walked, I haven't done this before. I haven't done this in a long time. Do you think there's some excitement there? Do you think there's some joy that's in this man? I, I'm, I, I have been healed and this wasn't a healing process. If you have a surgery or if you um, have a, uh, something, re there's rehab involved and you've got to uh, go through the process and work out. No, no, no. He hadn't walked in 38 years. 
He picks up his bed, which is weight. I mean, it was more like a sleeping bag. It wasn't a, a trundle bed or something like that, okay? He rolls up his sleeping bag, throws it on his shoulder, and he just starts walking. Because the power of God has the ability to heal. There's a great spiritual illustration of sin here. This world is blind. This world is born lame, is born paralyzed by sin. Many people have heard that forgiveness is possible. They've heard that there can be healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But they're still hoping that maybe this could bring them healing. And they try this religion. And they try that religion. And they, sp they, they spend their time and they're seeking, well, I've heard that this has helped this person. And I've heard this has helped this person. And I'm trying. And uh, maybe this could bring healing. But I, it hasn't touched my life. And I've been here for year after year after year after year. And it, there's no change. And there's nothing that's happening. But the power of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the answer. He has the power to change our lives. This man had to be brought to the end of himself to realize that turning over a new leaf isn't the answer. Trying to um, continue to find healing is not the answer. You have to turn to Christ. It's not through our efforts that we are saved, but it's through the power of Jesus Christ. One man said, it's not, till we are learned, it's not until we learn that we are completely feeble, that we are completely without strength, that we'll look outside of ourselves to God. Religion says this, you can be pleasing to God if you try hard enough. Think about the hopelessness of that if you try hard enough. Just keep trying. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. God says, come unto me and be ye saved. Come unto me, I will heal you. I have the, the power to do that. The power of God, Jesus Christ had power over this man's sickness. His word was sufficient. He was healed. Completely. He had that power. Because this man had met Jesus, he is now walking for the first time in 38 years. He is on his way home when suddenly he is confronted by the Jewish religious leaders challenging him with his unlawful conduct. Okay, now we do need to understand. Jesus commanded this man to pick up his bed and carry it knowing it was the Sabbath day. This was not a mistake by Jesus Christ. He knew exactly what was going on. We also need to understand this. Jesus never once broke the law. If Jesus broke the law, that would make him a sinner. Correct? If, and part of the law of God was to honor the Sabbath day, was to keep it holy. And the Old Testament law did say that, take heed to yourselves, Jeremiah 17, 21, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, neither bring it into the gates of Jerusalem, that they were not to do any work on the Sabbath day. It was to be a day of rest. But the Bible tells us that in Jesus, in Him was no sin. That He is blameless, undefiled, holy, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. That Jesus Christ is perfect and without sin. So, how do we reconcile Jesus telling this man to carry his bed on the Sabbath day? Well, 
Under the law also, you were allowed to take care of your animals. Okay? Your ox was not the plow on the Sabbath day, but you were commanded to bring water and food to your animals, even though carrying that was a burden would not. Okay, if you've ever carried a five-gallon bucket of water, that's pretty heavy. But it was not considered work on the Sabbath day because you were caring for someone in need. If your animal got stuck in a pit and was in trouble, even on the Sabbath day, you were to stop, you were to help that animal, you were to free that animal because that wasn't your normal duties of work. That wasn't you going about your business. That was you stopping to help someone. And here, Jesus was stopping to help this man. If he didn't take his bed home, he wouldn't have anything to sleep on that night. Okay? And this wasn't his ordinary business. He hadn't spent been walking ever in the past 38 years. Uh, so this wasn't his normal business just going about my every day. Rather, he had been touched by the hand of God and Jesus was caring for the needs of this man by allowing him to take his bed home so there's no contradiction in the Word of God. Is everybody with me? Jesus was not breaking the Sabbath. He was showing care and love for this man. Here come the Pharisees. Here come the Sadducees who had taken what God had designed as rest... The day, the Sabbath day was to remind the people of Israel that they were no longer slaves. When they were slaves in Egypt, they had worked seven days a week. There was no days off. Um, the, uh, all the government programs had not been invented yet that was going to say all the rights of the workers. No, they were slaves. If they didn't work, they were beaten. And so they worked seven days a week, whatever hours the Egyptians said. But when God released them from Egypt, He gave them the Sabbath as a day of rest to remind them, you're not slaves anymore. You don't have to work uh, to do that. That I have given you rest. I have given you good things here. And, but the Jewish leaders had taken the day of rest, the day that was to be a day of rejoicing for God's deliverance, and they had turned it into bondage. They tell us that the Jewish elders had added over 1,500 regulations for the keeping of the Sabbath. That you couldn't do this, and you couldn't do that, and you couldn't do this, and you couldn't do that, and all their different regulations, and they were out to make sure they were enforced. And you had better follow their regulations or you were going to be brought up on criminal charges. They see this man carrying a burden. Without stopping to ask what had happened, without stopping to see uh, what Jesus had done in this life, they attacked this man with a vigor. You're doing what's unlawful. You're breaking the Sabbath. Do you know the crimes that come with breaking the Sabbath? The man simply responds, The one who healed me commanded me to carry the bed. He didn't even know who had healed him yet. He didn't know it was Jesus that had healed him. He didn't have all the answers, but he had been obedient to the one who had healed him. The one who had the power to heal him also had the power and the authority to tell him to carry his bed. Right? Okay, is everybody with me? Jesus doesn't only have the power to heal us from sin, to change our life, Jesus has the power to free us from the regulations and from the thinking of men. There was, the, there was the traditions of the elders that the Pharisees were upset about. 
And Jesus is saying, because I am God, I have the authority to tell you what is right and what is wrong. And I have the authority to tell you what is good theology and what is bad theology. And I have the authority to tell you what you should do and what you should not do. There's so many people in our world that are bitter towards God today who have been hurt because of what somebody told them the Bible says that wasn't really in the Bible. That was, that was the traditions of men. That was the traditions of their elders. That was the traditions of their religion and told them, if you don't follow this and you don't do this, uh, you're going to be in trouble with God. And yet Jesus is here telling him, I have the authority over the traditions of the traditions of men. I have the authority to tell you what is right and what is wrong. I have the authority over the Sabbath day to tell you this is what God's word says and this is what God's word means. We're warned in the word of God. In Colossians, beware lest any man spoil you through the philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and all power. Listen, we don't need someone to interpret the Bible for us. It's not left up to just the scholars who can decide what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. No, Jesus has the authority over His Word. Jesus has the authority to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And He has the ability to free us from the bondage of men and from the thinking of men. That's why we're commanded in Galatians, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. How many people are, they say, okay, you need to be saved, yes, but then you still have to work really hard or God's going to hate you. No, God loves us. He loved us so much He sent His Son to die for us. God is not looking for an excuse to send anyone to hell. He's looking for any excuse to save us. He has the authority to tell us what is right doctrine and what is wrong doctrine. What is truth and what is not. This man leaves the Jewish leaders and he goes to the temple. By the way, if God has done a work in your life, you need to go to the presence of God. You should be in church. You should, and I'm thankful for everyone who's here this morning. You should be seeking the things of God. So he's there in the temple. Jesus goes and finds him. Okay, look, look at it there. Verse number 14, afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple. This wasn't by accident. Jesus is still seeking and pursuing this man. Right? He is still trying to help this man. He is still working in this man's life. And he says, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him whole. I know who it is that healed me now. It was Jesus. But Jesus comes. He once again sought this man out. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what others have told you that he didn't tell you. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He cares for your soul. And apparently from our text, he, Jesus tells him, go and sin no more. 
So apparently Jesus understood that this man's crippled condition had been a result of sin. Okay, that this man had brought this on himself, the destruction, the, the hindrances, the suffering that was in his life was a result of his sin. But Jesus had healed him. Jesus had had authority over the sickness that had bound him and said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Then Jesus finds him. He tells him, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon thee. Behold, you've been made whole. I've done a work in your life. I have healed you. I've made you completely physically whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. You see, Jesus is commanding this man, you've been made whole. Don't go back to what I've healed you from. Is everybody with? Okay, he's, he's telling him, you're now set free. Don't return to what brought you into bondage in the first place. Because I've healed you, don't go back to what I've healed you from. Don't go back to what is contrary to the will and the law of God. No more, no longer, don't go back. If you've been saved by the power of God, not only does Jesus have the authority and the power to cleanse us, to forgive us of our sins, but Jesus does have the authority and the power to command us to live according to His will and according to His way. God doesn't save us and then we can continue to live however we want. He said, I not only have authority to cleanse you, I have the authority to command you how to live. Is, is that what Jesus is saying? I'm telling you how to live. There is no part of our life that is exempt from the authority of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive us our sins, he has the authority and the power to command every part of our life to dictate how we live. We cannot have God's cleansing and not submit to God's authority in our life. He has authority over our actions, over our deeds, over our thoughts, over our behavior, that we're to live for His glory and not our own. He's saying, you need to live according to the way I command now. You need to do according to what I say. But when the Jewish leaders found out that Jesus had healed this man, what did they do? They began to persecute Jesus. And we're going to get more into that next week. But they began to challenge Jesus. What do you think? Why do you think you have authority over the Sabbath? Why do you think you have authority over our rules and our regulations? And Jesus tells them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. God, my Father has been working since creation and He's continuing to work and I, just, I am doing the work and the will of my Father. My Father. They knew that Jesus was talking, <clears throat> talking about God and He was saying, I am one, I am equal with the Father. They had rejected the authority of Jesus. They had set up their own rules. They had rejected the authority of God. They loved darkness rather than light. And now they begin to openly oppose Jesus. They begin, the Bible says they seek to slay Him. They want to kill Jesus because they've rejected the authority of God. And they understood that Jesus said, I am equal with God. Can I tell you why Jesus has the authority to cleanse your life? 
why Jesus has the authority to determine what is right and wrong doctrine and uh, has the authority to, to say what is true, how, why He has the authority to command how you need to live in your life? Because He is God. Because He is equal with God. That's what it says, verse number 18. Because He not only had broken the Sabbath in their minds, but said also that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. Jesus doesn't have authority just because He's a good person. Jesus doesn't have the power to do that just because He's a nice guy or could work some miracles. No, Jesus has the authority and the power to transform our lives because He is equal with the Father. Because He is God Himself. Therefore, He has the, the power to heal and transform our hearts. To transform the situations that are in our life. Because He has the power and the authority of the Father. So what are we going to do with it? Don't reject the one who has the power to change you. Don't reject the one who has the power to change you. Can I tell you this? Only Jesus has the power to forgive you of your sins. To take those who are lame, who are blind. The help of this world is like taking Advil for cancer. It may dull the pain just a little bit, but it doesn't solve anything. It, it, there, that is not a solution to the problem. But Jesus Christ has the power to say, I remove that from you. I forgive you. I cleanse you. You are made a child of God by His power. Brother Sam said, sin is the infirmity of the soul that afflicts every man. Until Jesus eliminates or erases or removes your sin." You can no more come to God than that man could enter the pool. You can't walk with God. Sin has paralyzed your legs and feet. You cannot serve God. Your hands and arms are paralyzed. You cannot see God. Your eyes are blinded by sin. You cannot sing to God. Your mouth is dumb. You cannot hear from God. Your ears are spiritually deaf. Every human effort only frustrates the problem more because only Jesus has the power to forgive us of our sins. Only Jesus has the power to cleanse and remove that. Because He is God, He can give us that new birth. You can be born again, not by trying harder, but by the Word of God. Jesus has the power to free us from the bondage of man's thinking and man's ideas. If we're in this world, we've been influenced. Every one of us have been influenced by the thinking, by the philosophies, by the culture that we are in. But Jesus has the power, because He is God, to change our theology. To change what we are thinking about. To change how we understand right and wrong. That isn't up to us. That isn't up to society. It's up to the Creator God. Because He has authority, He has the right to determine what is right and what is wrong. And how we are to approach Him. And how we are to serve Him. Make sure that we are allowing Him to determine what is right and wrong. And what is true in our life. Jesus has the authority to change how you live your life. You're not going to receive the healing of God without the authority of God in your life. But there's many, many people who would say, Oh, I want Jesus' healing, but I don't want Him running my life. You don't get one without the other. You don't. Either He is 
God and He is God over your life or He is not your Savior. He does have the authority over that. Those who, like the Pharisees, they saw the miracles. They heard the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke to them. He told them who He was and is. What did they say? We're going to kill you. They re- those who reject the authority of Jesus Christ reject God. That's a scary thought. But can I tell you, just this morning, a challenge I want to get out to you. Jesus has the power to change us. He has the authority over our life. But we have to submit to Him. He is the one who can do the change. It's not going to be the self-help. It's not going to be the rules and regulations of our world. What it is, is His Word and His spoken Word that has the power to take what is broken and make it whole again. Has the power to take what is sick and make it healthy again. Has the power to take us and put us on a new walk and put us there where God wants us to be. If you're saying, Lord, I I need your help this morning. Lord, I'm struggling a little bit. Can I tell you, He has the power to do the change. He has the power to work in your life if we will only submit, surrender to His authority and to His power. What has Jesus said to do? That's what you need to do. If you have questions, please, my time is here to help you understand not what Pastor Andrew says, but what the Bible says. So that we can not only know the healing of God, but we can know the transformation that God can work in our life so that not only are we healed from the effects of sin, but that we can walk with God and we can hear from God and we can uh, see the workings of God and be a witness of what God can do so we can tell others, stop waiting at the pool, come to Jesus. Stop trying to look for what's going to happen over here. Come to Jesus and He can do it. He has the power to change us. But don't reject His authority or you miss out on the power. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. I just pray, Lord, that You would help each and every one of us to serve You. Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know what it means to be saved, that today they would surrender to You that you would touch their life, convict them, Lord. You would work. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the time of invitation to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take a moment. If you need to pray there in your seat.